Well, so long, middle schoolers, as they head off to, uh, to class. And welcome, everyone. Welcome, everyone uh, watching at home. As Rob said, when a family has a big announcement, everyone's called uh, to the kitchen table. That's what it was growing up in my house. Someone had a big announcement. Uh, one of my brothers saying, I'm going to medical school. I'm going to be a doctor. Big announcement. We all come together. The same brother, I'm going to join the Army to pay for medical school. <laughs> uh, when Cheryl and I announced we're getting married, everyone came together. When we learned that my dad had cancer, my parents waited until we could all come together. That's what families do. Well, next Sunday, we have a big family announcement. I want to invite all of you to come back, and I want everyone watching at home, if you're able-bodied, you're within driving distance, you can make it. I know you're looking at one another right now. Like, oh, he's speaking to us. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Here's the camera. Camera two. Hi. Hi. Love you. All right. Love for you to come. Love for all of you to come next Sunday. Wear your uh, WAF We Are Family t-shirt, and we'll have a very exciting announcement about the impact initiative that we have uh, that's coming uh, very soon, and that as a church family, we're going to be investing in but want to invite you to that next Sunday. All right. The Lord God, the Almighty, has called each and every one of you here for a purpose, to be a part of his church. We learned about that this summer, didn't we, with with the sermon series in Ephesians, how we all play a part in the life of this church. He's ordained the local church to be the most effective place of his mission, a mission of disciple-making, and then equipping the saints for mission. It's the local church, Christ-centered, Bible-based, gospel-driven, spirit-filled, and when it's functioning and firing on all cylinders, there's nothing like it in the whole world. The impact that the local church is is having when it's functioning by design is awesome. And that's why we take time out to pray for not only our church, but our sister churches in the valley for the impact that they are having. When people are coming to faith in Christ, believers growing in their faith, equipped for ministry, when hurting people find deep healing, where real needs are being met, when young people are excited about following Jesus, excited about serving here, you you should have seen they all ran out, they're looking forward to being in Sunday school, when the beauty and power of community is expressed across generations and cultural diversity, it's an awesome thing to see. And I'm absolutely convinced that the local church is God's plan to change the world. That this place is a local expression of God's forward operating base right here that we are conducting kingdom operations in a strategic manner by the will of God. And if I'm right, if that's true, and I'll tell you folks, that's why I'm here. That's, that's why I was so stoked when God said, I'm sending you across the country to Maple Valley, Washington. Then we must pay attention to the kind of church we're growing. What kind of church are we growing here? Are we growing in the spirit of the age or the spirit of God? Because when a church functions by design, it's firing all cylinders at peak performance, 
it's an awesome thing to behold. But when the church is off mission, sputters and starts, fits up and down, when it's watered down faith, when it's anemic prayer life, its performance is weak. Today's passage challenges us to live boldly as a church by faith, that the power will come when we're plugged into the source in prayer. I'd like to invite you to open your Bible to Mark chapter 9. Mark's gospel, chapter 9. We've been in Matthew's gospel. Uh, Now we're looking at Mark's gospel again, though, uh, coming off of a mountain. In Matthew's gospel, it was Jesus after the Sermon on the Mount. Here, Jesus and the three disciples have had the ultimate mountaintop experience where Jesus was transfigured. His divine uh, nature was revealed. The essence of himself pre-incarnate with God the Father and the Spirit was revealed on that mountain in radiant glory. Mark records that Moses and Elijah, representing the law and the prophets, were there by his side. And that a voice from heaven came and said, this is my son, listen to him. Imagine if you were one of those three disciples and you see the scene. Um, Can you repeat that message? I'm not sure I got the message. Listen to him. The ultimate mountaintop experience. And this incredible scene of this mountaintop experience, uh, reinforcing the, the authority and the power of Jesus as King Jesus, as being the one and only hope of the world, the very next scene, they come down off that mountain into real life, into the fragile nature of faith when it confronts the chaos of this world and the realities of a fallen world, They confront a crowd that's angry, a father that's desperate, and a child in great need. And they see, and we will see, the mission of those first disciples going sideways by their lack of faith and prayerfulness. Let's pick it up in verse 14. It'll be on the screen. I'll read a little, talk a little, read a little, talk a little. Here we are, verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about with them? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Jesus, Peter, James, and John return to find the nine disciples in an argument with the religious leaders of that town. When Christian people are bickering, complaining, arguing, gossiping, is a sure sign of the church not on mission. 
and unchurched guests feel completely unwelcomed. I see that kind of behavior, like, why would I come to church? If I want to argue with people, I can go to Fred Meyer. I can go out in the community. You're not getting along. I'm out of here. That's what they see. It's also a sign of weak faith, and it's a shame. Contrast verse 14 and 15. Look at it again. Here they are. They're arguing with these religious leaders. People are standing around. But as soon as the people see Jesus, Mark records, they are overwhelmed with wonder. See, he's just come off the mountain. There could still very well be just the glow of the radiance of that transfigured moment, just like when Moses came down the mountain. They're overwhelmed by it, and they run to greet him. Why would we put any barrier between people meeting Jesus? And so Jesus asks, what are they arguing about? Do you think Jesus has a pretty good idea? I think he knows exactly what's going on, but he wants to hear it for himself. Who speaks up first? Not the disciples. They, all of a sudden, they've lost their voice, right? They're like, this guy, this guy, it's their fault. No, the first to speak is the father of boy possessed by a demon. Look at the scene. It's chaotic. The father's description of the boy's condition is horrifying and tragic. And it's heartbreaking. And not to conflate a demon possession with the state of our young people today, but when I read this passage, I can't but think about our young people today, our students, what they're facing. Pastor David prayed the congregational prayer in the first service. Right now he's in next to you, uh, meeting with those that are interested in, in joining our, our church family. And as he prayed, he, he prayed about the generations and the differences between the generations and the things that young people face aren't the same as things that Maybe those that come to our first service, a little bit of our older uh, membership, what they face. And I was reflecting on that. I was thinking, you know, those challenges, those temptations, those troubles may not be all that different today compared to generations gone by from when I was a young person and when you were a young person. The difference is it's coming earlier and earlier. I talked to some of our seniors, the things that they experienced when they were young adults, someone when he was in, in the army, saying, my grandkids are seeing and dealing with these things as children. I want you to stop and wrestle with this text. What is, what is robbing our kids today of their authentic voice? What is seizing the generation today, possessing them. The father says, teacher, teacher. He, he calls Jesus teacher. You remember if you're here last week, uh, this is a little clue as you're studying scripture that when in the gospel someone refers to Jesus as, as teacher or rabbi, it's often a sign that they don't have faith or it's very weak faith or it's faith on the way. It's not there yet. But when they refer to him as Lord, it's strong faith. The centurion called him Lord twice here, this, this man, he's not there yet. His faith is either weak or non-existent at this point. We'll see, we'll see which one. He says, teacher. 
I brought you, my son. Is that a sign of faith? It could be. Could very well be. I, I brought you, my son. Where's Jesus when he brings him? He's up the mountain. This man knows well enough that Jesus could be his last hope. And he knows the disciples represent Jesus when he's not around. So he goes on to say, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they couldn't. So he doesn't call him Lord yet, but we see here some signs. Understanding that he represents, that the disciples represent Jesus when he's not around. Now what this father doesn't know, but you and I would know if we've studied the scriptures, if, we, if, you've, if you're a reader of Mark's gospel, you could turn back to Mark chapter 6 and you would see Jesus giving authority and dominion and power to the 12 disciples and sending them out to a couple chapters before, three chapters before, to preach the good news of the coming kingdom, to heal every disease, and to cast out evil spirits. And you know what happens in Mark 6 and 7 and 8? It happens. It happens. They do that. They are empowered, and it actually happens. So something has happened here that has stopped that. And we learn as we kind of piece this together that this is the cause of the argument. Those that were looking for any means to undermine and sideline the ministry of Jesus and his ragtag group of followers, they were looking for, and here it is, this man's brought his child to be healed, and they can't do it. And the teachers say, aha, see, they're fake, they're phony. They can't cast out demons, have nothing to do with this Jesus. And what are the disciples' reaction? They get defensive. Right? Oh, you're going to yell? I can yell too. And they start arguing. And that's the source of the trouble. They're arguing. They're getting into a a debate and bickering of something they can't resolve and yet they caused. Look at verse 19. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Jesus is an absolute genius. He he assesses the situation and he levels his his rebuke, not not at the demon, not at the teachers of the law. He doesn't correct the father. No, where does he level his, his rebuke? At his disciples. He gets it right away. These are the men that will soon be entrusted with his mission, and they lack faith. They will be entrusted with a mission to bring the gospel to the whole world, and yet they are so slow to learn their lesson. Their faith is weak. They are not being dependent upon God. Instead, they bicker and they finger point. So Jesus chides them for their lack of faith, and, and really behind that is their, their self-reliance. They must have had a really great track record from all those ministry opportunities to heal and cast out demons. Well, now this is the first time Jesus is away. They roll up their sleeves. Well, we can do this by the power invested in me. His words echo the interactions between the Lord God, Yahweh, 
and his people Israel when they were out in the desert. All those years wandering the desert, and soon into that journey, the people started to what? Complain and bicker. Oh, why do we have to be out here? It's so much better in Egypt. We had food. We had leeks and, and meat in our pot. Why would you lead us out of here just to die? Lack of faith. All the things the Lord God had done, all they can do is complain to Moses. Ephesians 14. The Lord God, the Almighty, says, quote, How long will they refuse to believe in me? Friends, let us never fall into the same pattern of weak faith and self-reliance. Individually, families, but as a church family. When God's been so faithful, then he calls us to do something that's challenging. Which way will we break? Self-reliance or more reliance on him? You unbelieving generation, how long will I put up with you? We never want to hear the Lord say that to us. Verse 20. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said. Everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Friends, spiritual warfare and exorcism are very real. And I have firsthand knowledge and experience. It's not to be trifled with, and certainly not something to be added as uh, an aside in a message like this. But it's very real. And we see Mark's description here. And when the demon sees Jesus, and the demons do believe in the Lord Jesus, its, immediately, its immediate reaction is to convulse this boy. Friends, the last place the evil one wants a soul is to be with Jesus or in the Father's house. That is the last place the evil one wants. When someone's struggling spiritually, even if they've been to church, even if they've grown up in the church, the last place they want to be is in a room filled with his spirit. That's what we see here in the passage. Mark gives a lot of time to describe the boy's pain and anguish and the father's desperation. And look at what Jesus asks. How long has has he been like this? His compassion is off the charts. I mean, just rereading this, it's, it's uncomfortable, and yet Jesus leans into it. How long has he been like this? The, the compassion of the Lord. So many of us here 
personally, or you know someone who struggled, especially during COVID, and especially, especially last school year, we'd say, hey, how, how's it going? Oh, fine. How's the family? How are the kids? Do you really want to know? Um, yes. I've got to check out soon. I don't want my yogurts to go bad. I need to lean in. You really want to know what's going on? Ah, why don't you just give me the highlights? Jesus leans in. He wants the Father to express himself. And in his expression, pain and doubt, the dad says, if you can. If you can do anything Mercy on us. Help us. He he doesn't see Jesus as the Lord yet. He he speaks out of his pain and doubt. And I imagine this dad is struggling with more than pain and doubt. Friends, this is going to be the hardest part of the message. I think this, this father is struggling also with a sense of guilt. Parents out here watching at home. We bring that child home from the hospital. There's nothing we want to do more than to protect and care. We would like lay our, our lives down to protect this little one, to raise them well. When our kids grow up and start to make choices and things start to go sideways, and when there's pain and doubt, so often part of the tragedy is the guilt that sets in. What did we do wrong? We did everything right. God, are you judging me by causing this pain in my kids? Mom and dads carry a lot of guilt. Grandparents, too. Well, guess what? There is a place for everyone, including those with weak faith, pain, doubt, guilt, and shame. There's a place for you here to have someone ask you the question and to lean in and to carry that burden with you. If I can, Jesus says. He, he, he doesn't reprimand this dad like he did the disciples, but he's calling him to more faith, isn't he? To, to believe, to, to drop the guilt and shame. He says, everything is possible for the one who believes. Now, Jesus is not suggesting that God will grant everything we ask, like whatever you want, just ask for. That. That's where we get into a lot of trouble with this passage. You know, he's calling us to ask in faith and to believe God is able, that nothing is impossible for him. All things are possible that are within God's will. It's like everything is available to you that's on the menu. So, so you go to a restaurant, and, and you look at the menu, and, and I'll tell you, I want to go to Cheesecake Factory because they've got the biggest menu. Everything is available that's on the menu. You're not allowed to order off the menu. You go to a little tiny restaurant, it just has a few items, you're like, that's really expensive. That's, that's it? 
These are the options that God's given me. I don't like this option or this option, but this is what's in God's will. Other times, you can just keep thumbing through. Easy. I'll take this. If that's in God's will, this one too, I'll add a little side of that. 1 John 5.14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. What are the options that God has laid out before you in the circumstances you find yourself with? Maybe you think, that will cost me too much, or I don't like the smell of that, the taste of that. That's not what I would prefer. And yet the Lord says, these are your options. Verse 24, immediately the father's, uh, the, the, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Wow. We talked about this as staff. We had a wonderful time kind of dissecting this. And I was taking furiously notes from, from the, the genius and insights and compassion of our team, the, the, the team that helps run things behind the scenes. I'm writing out, oh yeah, tell me more. Okay, Cammy, Joe, wait, David, Rob. And Rob said, he said, he's so clear. He says, the father is saying, I believe, I don't believe. Help. I, I believe, and I don't believe. Help. And even on our best days, Christians are people of uh, imperfect faith. I'll be the first to raise my hand to that. In humility, though, this father reveals what's true for all of us. We believe. We also don't believe. We all have doubts from time to time, and so we're instructed in Scripture to come to God, to bring our requests with whatever measure of faith we have in our possession at that moment for increased faith, to bring our troubles and doubts to Jesus. And a church that is a forward operating base on mission functions at peak performance when we are operating by this type of faith that's bathed in prayer. Verse 25. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked. Ah! Make sure you're paying attention. Convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. And after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, uh, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Jesus accepts the man's confession and extends mercy to the boy. There's a big crowd coming. He doesn't want them to know quite yet. Uh, in the course of Scripture, we see this, these hidden plans that the Lord has that are revealed in due time. Next Sunday, in due time, plans revealed. This is what's happening here. He doesn't want them to know and see what's about to happen. And so uh, he gets to work, and immediately he frees this boy. He rebukes the spirit. He calls it by name. The spirit that's robbed the boy of the ability to hear and to speak and to live. Jesus says, come out of him and never enter him again. 
boom, it's out. And one last physical manifestation, the boy looks gone, but Jesus then helps him to his feet. And then behind closed doors, family of disciples get together to debrief. Why did it work for us? We did it before, just like he told us. Why couldn't we do it ourselves? Jesus said, exactly. Why couldn't we do it ourselves? We could have done it. We could afford it. We've got the resources in ourselves. You can't do anything that will last into eternity without God, without his permission, without his, his empowering, without full dependence on him. That's when the pain of life meets the awareness of God's transforming power. This kind can only come out by prayer. Invite Rob and the team to come on out. And I'll close with this. I want you to be thinking now, who do I need to be praying for? As the students leave, where do they go? Fifteen minutes with their youth group leaders. We get them for, what, 40 hours? Three thousand hours at home. Thousands more at school and online. We are engaged in a spiritual battle and it looks like the internet is winning and the church is losing. YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and if you're of a certain age, Facebook too, are powerful disciple makers. What kind of disciples are these social media platforms creating? What are we creating by having you at home and not here if you can't be here? To be the church on mission, we must be a people relying on God in prayer and by faith. And yet, what are we doing? Someone in great need and struggle, family that's being ripped apart, a family that hasn't come together at the dinner table in years because it's just too painful, we send up an emoji praying for you, heart, love you, we can do better. We can do better. We can lean in. We can go to someone's house, form a prayer chain around that house, pray for strongholds to fall. That's what we were singing about, Rob, right? We talked about, is that just a song? Do we mean that? They mean that in India. There's no power unless we're connected to the source. So if you say that you're going to pray, mean it. This text says, that last verse 29, it says, this kind can only come out by prayer. Other translations include, uh, earlier text versions have uh, fasting, tears. 
Friends, we have more to offer this community than any other organization in this valley. And yet we will be ineffectual unless we believe and pray and rely on the spirit. Jesus is the bondage breaker. Let's just take a moment right now. Close your eyes if you feel so led. If you're at home, you can close your eyes. Take your hand, a hand of someone next to you. And in Jesus' name, intercede on behalf of our young people today. Think of someone's name. Think of someone sitting beside you or near you, the kids that just walked out. Our middle schoolers that didn't even hear the message, they're out there. Children's ministry packed. They can't even find the volunteers so that we can have Sunday school and nursery at 9 a.m. Lord, please hear our prayer right now. In Jesus' name for our young people. In Jesus' name for our college kids. In Jesus' name for kids that are running start, are, are, are working right now trying to figure out this world without a gig economy, without any safety net, Lord God. He is faithful. He will will hear you. Nothing is impossible for those who believe.